0: Eric Newby quit his job in the fashion industry to explore Nuristan, a remote region in the northeast of Afghanistan. Newby wrote about his journey in his now-classic book, A Short Walk in the Hindu Kush, originally published in 1958 to wide acclaim. Joining me to talk about Newby's A Short Walk is Aaron Miller, who has written for publications like National Geographic Traveler and is the host of the Armchair Explorer podcast. Well, Aaron, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm psyched to be on. I'm a big fan of your show.
0: Thanks. Uh, and so we're here to talk about Eric Newby's A Short Walk in the Hindu Kush, which is considered to be one of you know the classic travel books um, in, the, in the post-World War II uh, period. So this is the second podcast in the series where I talk with travel writers uh, about travel books that are well-regarded. But before we jump into that, I wanted just to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to uh, the listeners. Um, You are the host of a podcast called Armchair Explorer. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your podcast?
1: Yeah, great. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, My name's Aaron Miller. I'm a travel writer. I originally hail from England. So I'm kind of I've always been a big fan of newbie. He's a, he's a classic, uh, travel writer, uh, from my home turf, but I, I, ran away to the Rocky mountains of Colorado, uh, about seven years ago and, and they can't have me back. We get the, the 300 day sunshine a year here. And I think, um, England gets <laughs> the other 65, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere, but, uh, uh, yeah, I am I thank you for uh, asking about the podcast. Uh, it's called Armchair Explorer. The hook of the show is the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. And if I could have had uh, Eric Newby on the show, that probably would have been my dream guest. So um, this will have to suffice, I, I guess. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Doing the podcast, I kind of come from a travel writing, traditional travel writing background, working for newspapers and and, and magazines, and it's been really fun just starting to tell these adventure stories uh, and try and connect people with the outdoors and and uh, you know just the pure joy of exploration. It's been really fun to. to- to do that in a, in a new medium. And I'm, I'm a big fan of podcasts and travel podcasts and a bit and a big fan of yours too. So I'm, I'm honored to be on the show.
0: Thanks. Well, your podcast uh, is definitely well put together and the way the ways in which you and your guests tell stories so um, we are fans of your show over here too
1: well thank you and and I think we've kind of had parallel lives because uh, I used to work in the music industry and one of the reasons I wanted to uh, and uh, and work in music and I'm still a huge fan of music and music production and and, uh, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do my show is I wanted to kind of mix storytelling with with music and and you're a, a musician too so um, I'm publicly now going to hit you up for some of your music on my show.
0: <laughs> that was a former life. We're not allowed to talk about such things. Here. Oh, no, that's
1: about talking about former lives. I'm so sorry. sorry.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, um, and so can you just uh, give us a, before we talk about uh, newbie, can you tell us where we can find your podcast online?
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. It's available, you know, Apple, Google, Stitcher, all the usual places, or you can go to the website armchair-explorer.com. Very good.
0: So let's, um, I guess, set the stage and talk about who this wonderful character, Eric Newby, was. Uh, so like, I think we all know that he's a British travel writer uh, who kind of rose to, to fame and prominence in the post-World War II period. Uh, he's sold over a million paperbacks. Uh, he's you know well-regarded, uh, many, many travel books. And I think the one that we're talking about, A Short Walk in the Hindu Kush, was one of his breakout books.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he's just the most incredible character really. He has the most amazing story and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of highlight him in the show today. He's uh and I think this comes through the book as well. He's kind of this boy's own adventurer, you know. He's he's kind of of a generation. I guess he was he was probably born at the tail end of the the Victorian era, Edwardian era. And there's something of that that kind of style and ethos. that very old mm. fashioned uh, Englishness that comes through this this story. and And just his kind of spirit. For adventure, which sort of borders on naivety, in, in many, in many places in this book, but he's sort of self-effacing throughout that, in a in a very uh, stiff upper lip kind of way, which which I love. But he's had the most incredible life. You know, he he left school at sixteen, which was not uncommon then, and actually still isn't in in England uh, in many ways. And he ended up working on this like. Traditional sailing ship. He had kind of read these stories about these great, great kind of maritime adventures, and and he sort of just did it and ended up on this uh, on this kind of ship doing what's called the grain race, taking um, you know grain and wheat over to Australia, and had all sorts of you know incredible adventures. He wrote about that uh, in in the Great Grain Race, and then uh, and then the war came, and it that's kind of where his story gets just. Absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. He was—he was, uh, he was uh, really an elite soldier. He was in the the SBS, the Special Boat Service, which is like the the brother organization of the SAS, which is England's you know super super high elite uh, fighting force, a little bit like the Green Berets or something like that. So I mean, he was—he was a serious uh, serious guy in that sense, and he had this incredible mission uh, quite early on in the war, where he was sent with just five other men to a kind of ports that the Germans had owned. To blow up uh, a series of planes, right? Yeah, and uh, I I mean, it's like it's like some kind of. uh, If it wasn't real life, you would think this would be some sort of exaggerated Hollywood (laughs) version of it, right? And uh, and it gets better too. You know, they almost succeed, but he's ultimately captured and taken to an Italian uh, prisoner of war camp, and and then it kind of gets all crazy because he escapes. Uh, from the prisoner of war camp and actually uh, one of the people that helps him escape the first time is this woman that he meets who's living there she's not uh, italian but she's uh, she's living there and, and her name is Wanda and she will appear later in this book too because Wanda eventually becomes his wife which has to be one of the the greatest romance stories of of all time I mean I don't know what your kind of meet your wife story is but mine certainly doesn't measure <laughs> up to helped me escape from prisoner of war camp you right. know uh, <laughs> (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, and then he actually has to disguise himself as a Italian kind of shepherd boy and, and lives in the Apennine mountains, which, which I'm desperate to read this book afterwards. I, I, I want, I really wanted to do the, as you say, short walk in the Hindu Kush is this kind of breakout classic book. It's probably the book that he'll be best remembered for, but, um, love and war in the Apennines is when he writes about this story. And, and I I really, having read this now, I really, I'm desperate to read that too, because it's, uh it's, it's an incredible story. It's, it's an incredible kind of war story on one level, but it's really a love story as well. And it's, and it kind of puts Romeo and Juliet to shame in some ways (laughs) because, you know, he's having these secret messages with Wanda that, and secret meetings that kind of uh, really risk his life. And, and there's, there's one sort of notable scene in it too. I think it's quite a poignant book as well, because there's one notable scene where he actually gets discovered by a, a German soldier, all alone, just in the Apennine Mountains, which is a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. I did a story about them uh, a while ago, and walking this old salt road uh, over the Apennine Mountains into the sea, and it is this very beautiful, remote, very, very traditional Italian uh, place. But and he's in these mountains when he gets kind of discovered, but he ends up sitting, you know, sitting down with this German soldier who agrees not to to, to turn him in, and they have a conversation about the war, just two young men. And it's just it just sort of says something about his character that he's that he's able to, to do that and mm-hmm. and um, uh, so it really it, you know this book is kind of prefaced by this by this incredible life and this incredible adventure prior to even embarking on 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 this journey and we should
0: say before he was captured in Italy he was sent to India and he learned Hindi and Urdu and then was sent to North Africa from which he embarked on the you know the mission where he got captured, and after he escaped into the Apennine Mountains, he was recaptured and sent to another prisoner of war camp in Germany, right? And so after the war, I think um, the story goes, he was sent back into Europe, you know, supported by British finances to kind of seek out the anti-fascist sympathizers and supporters, and that's how he got back in touch with uh, Wanda.
1: That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I love I love that part of the story. They yeah. tracked
0: her down, and then they never separated uh, since that moment. Um, and interestingly, you know, after this you know, badass, <laughs> you know, like hyper masculine kind of uh, <laughs> career, he goes back to England, where he spends the next decade or so. Working in the fashion industry, right? <laughs> the haute couture I, fashion industry, right?
1: I, I just love this about him, though. Too, it's it's such a like a rebel thing to do in a in a, in a strange way, isn't it? Because as you say, he's come from this hugely macho background, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and I love how he describes, you know, in a, in a typical kind of stiff upper lip. English way of its, his time, he describes like his second capture as quite disagreeable or something <laughs> like that, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it would be quite disagreeable. You know, it sort of like puts your long bus journeys that you would describe like that to shame. Right. Isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> My back hurt. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But so um, the, the reason why we're, you know, recounting a story is because this is where a short walk in the Hindu Kush begins is, you know, in the middle or rather at the very end of his tenure in the fashion industry, he's working on uh, I think some new line. Was it like a summer or a spring, <laughs> spring collection? <laughs> and he just you know got the call of the wild. He got frustrated with his with his work in the fashion industry and sent a telegram to his friend Hugh, uh, and it said just simply, "Can you travel, Nuristan?" June, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, lo- I love that. Right, I yeah. wish we still paid by the word, by the you know, for different texts. Now it'd be so much simpler, wouldn't right, it? You know, right, right? Forget grammar, forget all the niceties. Like, let's get to the point. Cut to the chase, but, right? Sure. <laughs> but you know what? That's one of the things that I love about this book too. Is it's just this kind of all of a sudden mad right turn in life. You know, here he, he's got a, he's got a very successful career in the fashion industry, and uh, like you said, he's been there for about a decade and the book kind of opens with this, with this scene. And actually I think one of the things that, things that Newby does incredibly well as a writer is he captures characters and dialogue, uh, just brilliantly, you know, and, um, you know, as well as any novelist. And so I think at at times you really get that sense that you're almost reading a novel because it's so well paced Mm -hmm. and, uh, the dialogue is so on point and it's so well balanced, um, that, uh, it's it's a real page turner but it, yeah it opens with this incredible scene of him uh, in like high fashion in London and you just get a total sense of of what that life is like, you know, they're going to luncheon, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think that, and it's such a, it's so, it sets itself its time so so perfectly too. Like they 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 call each other formally by their names, and Mister Hyde Clark, and and uh, you know, Miss Candlemass, the American buyer who comes in, and 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 you know, uh, having worked in the music industry, I had a lot of affiliation for how he, how he felt in that time. Because, you know, here's this, this very important American buyer and they've, they've said, oh, you know, she's, she can only come at this time and, and they change all <laughs> their plans. And, and then she arrives like four hours late and doesn't want to see any of the things that she says. She wants to see some, something completely different and, uh, you know, steals a bottle of perfume basically, and uh, presumes it's going to be given to her. And, you know, it just, it just rung so true about so much of that kind of, London and I'm sure elsewhere, you know, those capital cities, but that, that sort of fashion uh, industry type atmosphere, which, which felt, I mean, he managed to write it in a way that felt very, very funny and very mm-hmm. true, but also you got a little bit of that claustrophobia that he felt, you had a little bit of that sense of, God, I, I, I need to break out of this too. I can understand, uh, you know, why he's, he's wanting to escape from this life in a way. And, uh, and then through this, as you say, is there that famous, that famous cable, the famous telegram that he sends to to Hugh Carlos, who is just the best character, isn't he? I mean, I mean, yeah. just reading him is the funniest. I, I I don't know if he's intentionally funny, but I I took him as 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 just a real kind of iconic English gentleman kind of character, and and just. I had so much fun with him.
0: Yeah, but also with a short temper. I think he has a short temper. At least he's portrayed uh, to have a short temper by newbie, which we can talk about a little bit later. But if it sounds like we're we're smiling and giggling, it's for a reason because the book is. A funny book, right? It's, it's meant to be tongue in cheek. It's meant to be humorous, right? Even the title alludes to it. it's a short walk in the Hindu Kush, right? A short, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, you know, chapter titles like uh, life of a salesman and death of a salesman it allude to kind of the, the comic quality. So this isn't, you know, a serious travel book it's not serious minded you're not going to get a lot of kind of like historical or cultural insights from reading this book but what you are going to get is this you know wonderful comedic tale of kind of two bumbling foreigners getting into situations (laughs) that
1: are are, i think that's well said it has
0: a very kind of idiot abroad feel to it does it not have you seen that show
1: i I have i hadn't thought of that parallel but i'm glad you brought that up yeah it it kind of does but it's also. I think it also says quite a lot about the sort of naivety and arrogance of of that time, particularly mm-hmm. the English the English man, gentleman at that time. You know, um, that you know, there's sort of mention of the the empire and and all this stuff. You know, there was a sense, I suppose, that they could do anything. That there was a there was a real sense of of being powerful and and competent. But he manages to not be arrogant in that he's so self, sort of self-effacing and, and and kind of makes fun of himself and Hugh throughout it, that I think that it manages to not come across that way. He sort of laughs at himself as he does it. Although there are a few instances, I'm sure we'll mention that, that, you know, time maybe hasn't treated well. Uh, You know, this was obviously a a, a trip that happened in the, in the late fifties and the book came out in the late fifties. So it's a very different time from now, but yeah, they are kind of idiots abroad. There's, There's such a naivety to the way they approach this. And I think that's one of the fun things about this book too, is, is, you know, on the one hand, there's something kind of inspirational about the fact that he was just able to kind of quit this career and go on this crazy adventure. And that, that kind of made me feel as I read it, God, you know, it's, it is possible to do mad things like that, right? Mm. It's possible to just pack it all in and decide, no, you know what, you know, going to one of the most remote regions in the world is more important than this 10 year career in, in the fashion industry I've built up. But yeah, there's also this incredible Naivety that runs throughout it, particularly with the the, the kind of mountaineering yeah, climbing
0: aspect. I mean, the entire premise of this book is, uh, in in some ways, two people who don't really have any experience climbing mountains or hiking have this kind of bold plan to go climb one of the most formidable <laughs> regions in the planet right inhospitable they they want to yeah. climb mir Samir one of the it's with a nineteen thousand foot mountain peak the, you know they have these grand plans to to summit that and they ha- have absolutely no experience climbing and in fact they go to Wales for <laughs> like three or four days to learn the ropes literally about how to climb
1: I do I love it there's one there's one like sort of passage where he's you know because because basically, newbie had wanted to go and see Nuristan, this 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 kind of pretty much undiscovered, unexplored region in in Afghanistan, and uh, and Hugh had written to him about it previously when Hugh had been stationed in, uh, I think in in Kabul, and so that was the kind of initial idea. And then Hugh comes back and says, "No, you know, we, we must climb this mountain." <laughs> so he really gives this impression that he's uh, he's this experienced sort of mountaineer, and and it's, everything's going to be fine. and and newbie keeps kind of, you know, protesting and saying no, 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 and and he just keeps getting letters back with like shopping lists of mounting earring equipment he's to buy. You know, he's just absolutely ignored in any of his like pleas to sensibility. But yeah, they, they, I think they they're leaving on June the first, and it's the end of May, and they have four days, <laughs> and they think. Golly, we, we we best go learn how to climb, you know. And so they find themselves in this B and B in Wales, and uh, it, you know it's just very funny. That first there's a local doctor who agrees to to take them out, and and then uh, I think it's a couple of the the women that work at the B and B take them out. But it, it's so like the stuff that they're doing is is very sort of basic. Like if you've ever climbed, uh, I, I've done a fair bit of climbing. And if you've ever done, like if you've ever gone to an indoor gym for half an hour, you would know more than they do, you know? <laughs> and, and yet they're going to like an unclimbed peak in one of the most remote and dangerous places in the world. And just kind of happily, you don't know what you don't know. Isn't that true? And I think they don't know so much that, that, that they don't even know it. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was very, very funny. And, and, and also just, um, you know, there's a funny passage where he's repelling, upselling down this cliff and they have to do it, It, you know, these are days really before we had a lot of the modern mountaineering equipment that we have now. So, you know, they're having to kind of put the put the rope between his legs and he's kind of hanging there in, in agony as this rope is grinding between his legs. And you just have this impression of the, of these two guys who have, you know, the, the local waitresses are trying to teach them and they have absolutely no idea what's 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 going on. And any sensible person that, that kind of even moderately loved their life and being alive would have quit at, at that point. <laughs> Point, right? That weekend would have been like, no, yeah. we can't. You know, we can't get up this hundred foot cliff in Wales. We are not going to climb a twenty thousand foot mountain in Afghanistan. You know, it's just not going to happen. But, uh, but it's the you know it's that spirit of you know we can do anything and stop being such a wuss and uh, uh, that, that that um that kind of carries them forward and so uh, they they go on. But luckily, Judith, one of the the waitresses before they go, just uh, kind of passes them a a climbing pamphlet it's described. I just have this, this image of like a, like one of those little fold out sort of train map type things that, that has like the do's and don'ts of climbing.
0: (laughs) Don't don't forget to do your safety (laughs) knot, right?
1: (laughs) This is a This is how to belay. This is how not to belay, you know, like, and, uh, you know, and it's lucky she did because like that will become their Bible. I mean, they actually consult this <laughs> numerous times on the wow. mountain when they don't know what to do. So, um, yeah, I think it was, it was, a it was a great start to the book and that's kind of the first part of the book, yeah. isn't it? And I think by the end of that, you're sort of, you're really on their side, but you also sort of can't believe what they're doing and, uh, you're excited to take off with them. And interestingly,
0: uh, his wife Wanda says, Hey, I want to go with you, <laughs> right? And she she attaches herself onto the the group, and uh, I think she makes it all the way to Tehran. She doesn't make it to Afghanistan, but she makes it damn most of the way, which, which is interesting. And I later found out that Wanda, in subsequent travels, uh, went with newbie almost everywhere. Right, he he preferred not to travel alone, as many travel writers prefer he always wanted to go with wanda and had no problems taking her and apparently she was tough as nails uh like like newbie, so she could hold her own but that was a fascinating part of the story i didn't expect her to want to go and to actually go um i guess that says Hmm. uh, a lot about our culture of expectations around gender um but for her she's she's the reason why he's still alive she's the reason why he escaped you know she's a strong anti-fascist woman who you know helped this guy and many other uh, prisoners escape. so I found that very inter- an interesting element it, although she plays a very small kind of role in the story you know th- this is something that stuck out to me
1: yeah, absolutely and I think that you know it's a marker of, of how unusual it was you could kind of get Hugh's reaction to that was was like, what <laughs> you want to take your wife, you know, and, and, uh, and does his best to try and uh, talk him out of it and her out of it. But, but she comes. And I think that's great too. I thought that was just mm-hmm. a, a really nice part of that illustrated, you know, their, their, the their love story. Yeah. yeah. um, and she doesn't stay the whole time. They have kids at this time too, so like I, I like that they just sort of pack their kids off to someone, and and off they go for a month to you know to Istanbul and and, and around. Um, and like you say, it's not a pleasant trip either. And I think it really speaks to you know that, that her sort of toughness, like you said, and her, and her bravery to to want to be there and 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 be a part of the adventure, to so just not want to miss out. You know, so it's. Uh, yeah, I love that too. Although uh, Hugh Hugh almost does kill her with an ice cream. So uh, <laughs> He's got I like throughout all this that um he, he reminds me of my dad in some ways who's just got like through sheer force of will you know just refuses to get sick and uh and, and just and it's like this very kind of traditional English thing you know of stop complaining but uh but you know he's he forces everyone to eat an ice cream and and, and wander and and eric just end up nearly on their death and, a and he's bacteria a, bacteria a right. problem yeah and you know and, and uh and and obviously, and obviously that can be a problem in many, many places of the world where it can't be kept cold and whatever, but, and he, he's absolutely fine. They're on their deathbed and he's like, what's, you know, what's <laughs> going on? Stop all this fussing around, you know? And, and, uh, and that's kind of a theme that, that carries on for most of the book, but he doesn't get completely away with it.
0: Just a quick note to say that if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app, Or consider supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at TravelWritingWorld.com slash support. Right. And so they they travel through Istanbul to Tehran. And I think this is where Wanda leaves. And she has a plan to meet Eric back in Italy, I think, after their their little tour. And this is uh, just so people can get a sense of you know, pacing, you know, we're at chapter eight by now. Right. So we're up to chapter eight and they're still not walking in the Hindu Kush
1: yet. And actually they, the, the, the title's a little bit misleading in some ways because they, they don't walk in the Hindu Hindu Kush till the very end. And, uh, um, but I, it's interesting you say about pacing because I really, I think that this is something that newbies very good at. Well, I mean, one of the, problems i i have with i don't know problems a harsh way to say it but i think sometimes that travel writing can become travel literature especially can become kind of so enamored with itself and its own journey and so much depth and background that it, it sort of loses the pace a little bit and it becomes quite a dense it can become quite dense at times um And a newbie I think is is really good at pacing. If, if there doesn't, you know, if something doesn't need to be, uh, you know, explained or, or elaborated on, he just, he just moves on, you know, and, and he's quite good at that, I think. So I felt, I felt reading it that you know even though it takes quite a long time to to kind of get get to the meat of it in some ways he's quite tight in his overall pacing and writing you sort of move from one anecdote to another and and he breaks it up well with with dialogue and character. so there's not long passages of exposition which really slow down the, the, the text too much. So it does, it feels to me like it reads like a bit of a page turner, like almost like a bit of a thriller at times, you know? Yeah.
0: It's, it's kind of like a, a classic travel log, right? We don't, as mm. we mentioned earlier, does, there's not a lot of kind of cultural or historical insight here. Um, and in fact, you know, I think this is chapter seven or so you know, there's this kind of weird break where there's a, a disclaimer, uh, that says, and I have the quote here, it says, readers who are not interested in the history and geography of Nuristan should leave off here and start again in chapter eight, <laughs> which kind of <laughs> I know. gives you a good sense of what the book is, is about. I mean, you're not going to read this to, uh, I don't know, uh, to, to, to learn about the region. You're you're reading this to hear the story, right? And mm-hmm. what you said earlier um, at the at the top of the conversation that Mm. Newby is an incredible character, I think cuts to the heart of what this Mm -hmm. book is about and the reasons why we read it. It's because this is a story between Eric Newby and Hugh Carlos and their characters and their journey more than any cultural or historical book, right? We're not going to get that same sort of insight.
1: No, but I think you're absolutely right. And I think he's, I think that's a really good insight that, yeah, it's, he's, he's written this in such a way that you've, you've really you know by the time you leave England and set off on this adventure, you are absolutely on Newbie's side and Hugh's side and you know these characters even though you haven't spent that much time with them you, you know them you' you've kind of befriended them right uh, you laughed with them and at them a little and 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 you and you're kind of with them on this journey you want them to succeed and I think that he's also written it. Really, with the reader in mind, I think sometimes it's easy, particularly with with travel writing, to to uh, it's you know it can be hard to cut out parts of a journey that were maybe very meaningful to you, or 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 important in terms of understanding the destination, but they don't necessarily help with the, the core narratives that the core story that you're trying to tell. And I think Newbie's really good at writing with the reader in mind. Like he wants to write an entertaining story. And that's like, that seems to me what comes first to him. You know, what's, what are the things that are going to be fun and entertaining for my reader to read? And then, uh, and then kind of base the story around that and those anecdotes um, by and large. I have a few, not complaints, but a few Places where I think that that falls down a little uh, towards the end, but but uh, you know I think it, by and large he does that he does that very very well. Mm-hmm. But it is really funny and jarring that part, isn't it? Because I, I, at that part I was quite into the story and everything, and then all of a sudden you're ripped out of that illusion, and it's like <laughs> and he almost apologizes yeah. for providing the history, and uh, it's it was quite quite sort of jarring and, and unexpected. Well, I, you
0: know, I, I thought it was also unexpected, but. For me, this is the point where the book improved for, for okay. a strange way. Like, I think I opened the book expecting to read those types of things. And, you know, to have it as basically a footnote, a parenthesis, apart from the main story, um, mm. of course, that's jarring, but, you know, that's what I guess I expected. And maybe that says a lot about me as a reader, um, you know, the type of books that I, I prefer. But it, it, the book vastly, in my opinion, improves from that point forward.
1: Yeah, no, and I, I didn't mean jarring in the sense of that, to, to have it. I felt that it was just jarring to announce his apology that, oh, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. it was just about to come, right. you know? So, uh, yeah, that's strange. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would have preferred that to, I suppose, be, be written through in some way. There was a, a lot of a lot of journey that happened where elements of that could have been woven into the narrative mm-hmm. more seamlessly than that and and probably more successfully ultimately um but yeah one of the reasons i i picked this book was because it's such a fascinating region and it's such a still a very re- remote and in many ways unknown region of course though it's it's been so uh, terribly affected by by war for for most of our lifetime and i think that you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to find out about it too. And I suppose that if I have a complaint about the book, I think that Newbie does the kind of expedition adventure side of it incredibly well. I think he's a very fun writer, but I felt sometimes like culturally that there was, there were elements missing. And I don't know if you got that too, that-
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Well- I mean I suppose on one level it's what you're you're mentioning in terms of the the kind of background in the expedition exposition uh-huh. that kind of sets the scene of the place a little um I would have liked to have known a little bit more about that I suppose overall but also I felt sometimes there was I mean he writes characters incredibly well and you have people that, you know that appear later in the journey like uh, Abdul Ghias and and the the kind of three Afghan horsemen that they um, commissioned to join them on the expedition, and although he writes that quite well, I, I, I always feel like there's a little distance between them. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever feel that he really connects with them on a person to person level. Agreed. And certainly as as we as we progress into the into Nuristan, I mean, it gets to the point of of being kind of ridiculous and almost rude and, and, and hard to read at times th- that he, his distance and almost his disdain for, for uh, some of the attention he's receiving. And, and I felt that was kind of a shame. I felt like he'd embarked upon this great expedition, this, this great mission to explore this uncharted region, but almost for, you know, was almost seemed uninterested or un, unable to connect with the people on a, on a sort of deep level. Right.
0: Well, in some ways the story was about Eric Newby, right? It wasn't about mm-hmm. the, the people of, of this region. And, you know, to, to the point that we mentioned earlier uh, about about Hugh, um, you know, it set me, it put me in a weird place to read about how Hugh constantly berated and chastised some of the local people, right? There's a series of uh, incidences that, that occurred where Hugh just sets off and starts... <laughs> yelling in some cases, lying to, to, to these people. Um, there was an instance uh, so somewhere towards the end of the book where, uh, they first encounter some of the, uh, the locals from, from Nuristan. And there's of course, this great picture in the middle of the book, uh, that shows some of these people. And it says the, the caption reads, you know, Nuristanis, you know, see two Brit- British people for the first time in their lives or something. And they befriend, hugh and newbie take them back to a village and bring them into one of their houses and you know there's this weird scene with the rolex watch where you know eric takes Mm -hmm. off his rolex watch and he's bragging about you know that, that it's waterproof and that it's brand new and they kind of drop it into a vat of boiling soup or something and one of the guys fishes it out and kind of disappears with his watch and he suspects that this guy is going to steal the watch. So he goes there and he yells at them. And it it just, it's, it's it rubs me in the wrong way, you know, that someone would go to such lengths to visit such a kind of remote and, and wonderful region of the world and essentially not give a damn about the people who he's encountering.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, 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 uh, I, I, you know, I wanted to, I'm glad you brought that up because I really wanted to bring up that scene too. And and in fact, the whole of the, the, really the fourth section of the book, the, the Nuristan section, but I, I totally agree. I mean, it was like, we, we built up this whole moment of crossing into this, this kind of magical land, Nuristan, the country of light. And then we get there and the moment happens, you know, where like you say, these guys come bounding out of the house, and and for a moment you think there is that that cultural connection that you know they they take them back to the Bothy, and there's going to be finally this finally that yeah that connection and that that moment where they they th- the countries meet and the different uh, worlds meet and something profound happens, but it it sort of turns and Abdul Ghias is like their their guide really uh, the leader of their. Uh, kind of caravan has all these prejudices. They all do that, you know, against the people of Nuristan and then calls them murderers and robbers. And, uh, and it's almost like those prejudices win out in the end, you know, that rather than forming his own opinion, I mean, so many times they disagree with, with Abdul uh, and and the team, right. So many times they berate them and, and force them on, you know, almost against their will. And yet when it comes to, this moment and moments like that, they, they sort of bow to that sense of, oh, you're probably right. They probably are murderers Mm -hmm. and and robbers, all of them. And it just felt really unfortunate that they would sort of succumb to that kind of stereotyping and, and I guess kind of racism. And, and, and yeah, I thought it was a real missed opportunity in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, you know, just to jump ahead, I guess, I felt like that whole, fourth section was a missed opportunity in, in, a, in a couple of different ways. You know, the book is originally set up about exploring this region, Nuristan and, and Northeastern Afghanistan. And you're, you're kind of brought to be excited to see it, but then through kind of Hugh's suggestion, it, it, it also becomes about climbing this mountain, uh, Mir Samir, um, and structurally I thought the book suffered because he's obviously written it chronologically, um, which is fair enough, but you, you kind of climb this mountain, you go through this whole big adventure, and then it's almost like an afterthought. They end up going into Nuristan, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it, I, I understand the need to do things chronologically, but I also think that you, that you can present things that make sense for the narrative in a way. And, and it, and it might've made more sense narratively speaking to have. F- you know, experienced something of Nuristan and built up to that moment on the mountain, you know, not to say, not not to say that, you know, he should change what the order in which stuff happened. Although, you know, a lot of travel writers do do that, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but it just, it, as a narrative, it didn't make sense. It fizzled out because they'd already had the peak moment. And then they just seemed tired (laughs) by the time they got to Nuristan. And they seemed a little fed up. And, And there were moments like where, they were just clearly annoyed by the attention they were being received you know they were clearly annoyed that people would come and and watch them and and want to get to know them and and it's kind of like well, what what did you expect you know you've decided to go to this this region where barely you know that's barely had any visitors that has no roads that you know almost no one can access you know what did you think was going to happen right. <laughs> when you arrived you know this is this is why you've come you should have been aware of this or at least you should have been Polite enough to to appreciate it from their perspective, and you know empathic enough to to appreciate it from their perspective. So I think that that section yeah missed out a bit for me. And it started as you said with that with that scene with the with the watch and the binoculars and and it, what could have been this beautiful cultural exchange became them accusing these people of robbing them, mm-hmm. and it's kind of left unclear as to just to explain what happened that he proves he wants to prove that his Rolex watch will work even in the soup or whatever, but then it gets covered in the soup and one of the guys takes it down to the river. And, and it seemed to me like he might've just been washing it off in the river for right. him, you Could know, and having a look. Yeah. and it, But, but it was just assumed that he was, that he was, he was going to steal from him. And it's that kind of stereotyping and sort of implicit uh, prejudice, which which kind of pervaded right. that section of the and book. he grabs his wrist,
0: like he forcefully grabs yeah. his wrist and kind of snatches him. And I think some of that might've been informed by the Afghani guides uh, that they had because they were feeding this narrative that they were going to rob them and then kill them and that they couldn't camp there at the night because th- that's what would transpire. And so in the back of Newbie and, and in Hugh's mind, they're thinking they're going to, go through our stuff. They're going to steal all of our stuff. So yeah. And of course there's the other debacle when, uh, after they leave that towards the end, they're trying to, f- the one that you mentioned earlier that they're trying to forge the river and mm. there's an easy pass. Uh, but I don't know, things happen. And one of the horses gets submerged in water entirely and all of their equipment, nearly all of their equipment and gear gets soaked film, cameras nearly destroyed and Hugh melts down.
1: Right. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, yeah, there was a tricky scene. I just, I just felt by then that they, you know, they'd expended so much energy doing the mountain and, and they, Mm -hmm. they were, they just seemed tired and grumpy by that part of the story and, and, and ready for the journey to finish. And, and even if they felt like that in real life, I think it should have been written differently because as a reader, all that happens is because you've now bonded with them and you're now seeing this story through their eyes, all that happens is you now feel... Tired and grumpy and ready for the journey to end, right. and that's kind of not how you want to finish a book, you know. And it
0: oh. ends abruptly, right? They they meet, you know, this <laughs> oh, great yeah. explorer Wilfred Thesiger, who yeah. he and his caravan are going through the region, and they just kind of happen upon him, right? Uh, <laughs> and he invites them, uh, noticing that they're um, British, invites them to camp together, right? And yeah, uh, there's this kind of a classic. Scene: the last very last line where you know thesiger is setting up his bed and newbie refers to the ground as you know sharp and rocky and thesiger is just you know going to bed uh, setting up his bed on on these hard rocks whereas hugh and eric are inflating their air mattresses which i didn't know they had with them right (laughs) until this (laughs) point and they're inflating their air mattresses and thesiger says to them You guys must be a couple of pansies. (laughs) The end, right?
1: (laughs) I know. I love it. Honestly, that whole like the whole fourth section of the book I wasn't sure about, but I was like redeemed when I read that ending. I mean, I know some people won't like that because it's it's very abrupt. And you know, some people believe like, what well, what happened? Did they make it back okay? Well, obviously it's assumed they made it back okay. And I I just think that's such a perfect ending. And I love how he ends quickly like that, and it just leaves it just says that's like the full stop, you know, the final point that that he needs to to wrap up the book and kind of make fun of himself and and Hugh, and uh, yeah, I thought I I don't know how you felt about it, but I love that. I read that and I just laughed out loud mm-hmm. all by myself and and just thought brilliant. I just a really brave way to end a book, and I and I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, no, it was
0: a it was a funny funny end, and in some ways, kind of ties the book together because we get this image of mm-hmm. eric working in the fashion industry completely ill-prepared to go on such a quest bumbles his way through well basically throughout the middle east and you know meets this famed explorer who mocks them for being ill-prepared <laughs> right and it's, it's this is nice kind yeah of, you know the dots are, are connected nicely but in terms of like structure and narrative you know, there is that kind of abrupt end and I'm mm. not sure, like I, I, I felt like, shouldn't there be more to the story
1: here? Like, well, I, I think that's a, for me, that was a product of the the way the whole end was structured in terms of the the mountain and the, and the, the passage about going into Nourast and ended up just becoming this kind of meaningless uh, annex to the book because the, the the whole thrust of the narrative was about climbing this mountain. Mm-hmm. And then once that was complete, that's where the, the book needed to to wrap up. You know, narratively, they should have gone through Thur- Nuristan, climbed the mountain, come down, seen Thessager, called them a bunch of pansies, and and, the and end, off they yeah. go. You know, that the end. That would have made sense. But but also, you know, sort of in typical newbie fashion, there wasn't internal sort of subjective looking at what this what this meant or right. what it, what it felt like, you know, and, and, and that, that's what left it a little bit empty at the end was, you know, it was, it was very much a sort of jolly boy's own adventure and having a bit of fun and, and making fun of themselves. And unfortunately at times some of the, some of the people they met along the way. Um, but, but there wasn't a real sense of, of what it meant to him after all this, or, or what it, you know, what it felt like right. other than that physical exhaustion and, and endurance and, so having put us directly inside his head and his thoughts, I felt that we deserved a little bit more, more of intimacy at the end, you know, something about what it meant and how his, I mean, I think travel writing at its best should, should take you on a internal as well as an external journey and you should learn something along the way. And I sort of left wondering what he learned, right. you know, what, what did. What, what changed about him as a result of this journey and uh we don't know and we don't know and I don't know if he knew and I don't you know do you know what I mean yeah. I think that the, the what was fun to go into this journey naive because they had this kind of aristocratic English arrogance meant that they they still had that arrogance at the end and actually right. that's not much of a, a journey you know yeah <laughs> and
0: this you know I keep on coming back to the Ricky Gervais uh idiots a broad an analogy, <laughs> yeah. because you know we don't watch that show to to learn anything about the places the idiot Carl visits. We mm. don't watch it for any of his insights. We watch it for the idiot. We watch it for for Carl. In some ways, that's why we are reading this book. It's mm. for for newbie, right? The, I don't want to call him an idiot, but you, you know the analogy he presents himself as underprepared, bumbling. You know, traveler, and so I, I think that way to think about this book might be uh, revealing. We're, we're coming uh, up upon the hour here, and uh, I don't want to hold you for much longer. But uh, can we just close this conversation out by asking the question? Uh, well, overall, did you like it? Would you recommend it?
1: Yes, I would. I mean, with with those qualifications, I think that you're. You know, it's always hard to read something that was written well this was you know written 60 years ago and and so much has changed culturally in that time i think there are elements of it that that grate a little bit and there's elements that that leave you feeling a little bit unsatisfied but i think you have to understand it it is of its time and you know it's particularly as someone from england i think i was able to laugh at that sort of stereotypical you know, English gentleman, uh, a little bit. Uh, and so, and also sort of understand where it's coming from. I, I'm not sure. I mean, as an American, like, did you understand that persona, uh, and see it as a kind of almost as a caricature or, 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 was it sort of a bit more confusing and misunderstood for you?
0: No, I, I definitely uh, picked up on those class conversations that are going on there. Um, mm. You know, I, and I definitely picked up the the very kind of British quality to it in terms of the humor and 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 and, <laughs> yeah. and approach. Um, I, I'm sure some things were lost on me just because of the the cultural uh, differences, but I, I it did come across as 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 that.
1: Mm. And so I I think that, you know, taking that to one side, I think, and and that's the case with a lot of classic literature in any case. um, But taking that to one side, I think that one of the things about uh, travel writing or good travel writing is the person that you're traveling with, the person that you're sort of traveling in the mind of has to be good company. And I think that all that criticism aside, is still good company. He's he's funny. Um, Mm. He... I think he's thinking about you, the reader, when he writes, he's, he's trying to entertain you. Uh, He's not doing it in a kind of, you know, self-indulgent way, uh, which, which is easy to fall into uh, for sure. But I think, I think you need to read it, as you said, with a sense of, this is a kind of fun yarn, you know, this is a sort of fun, bumbling story. It's a, it's kind of a, a classic of anti-mountaineering or something mm-hmm. I would say, you know, like just, you know, if you're a serious mountaineer, it would probably really make you laugh. Um, right. but it's, it's, uh, but nonetheless, there's, it's, it's a great adventure story. It's, it's great fun. There's some really funny scenes. Like we didn't mention this with <laughs> the one scene where, um, with the baby when they stop in the village and there's uh, there's people there's these women that are screaming that this they're screaming but you know, baby baba ba 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 and they're looking down this well and it's this well of, of like sewage, you know, uh, deep (laughs) sewage and and newbies just like, this is the moment that's finally arrived. You know, this is the moment I, my whole life has been building up to this moment to be this hero. And he just just rips his shirt off and dives headfirst into this vat of sewage and is swimming around the bottom of this, this disgusting sewage trying to find this baby. And then he, he pops up and like the mom's holding the baby. He's like, oh yeah, sorry. (laughs) she had just run into the house next door, you know? (laughs) And, uh, uh, so, I mean, there's funny scenes like that throughout. I think it's, um, they're great company to travel with and I and I and I would recommend it. And it makes me want to read it, read some of his other stuff too. I think he's he's just good fun to be with. And if you're not looking for something too heavy, or too serious, if you're looking for just a fun story and a bit of a page turner rather than a really deep understanding of a country or a culture, then then this would probably be a good book for you.
0: I agree 100%. And on that note, uh, we should uh, wrap this up. Thank you so much for suggesting this book and coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much, man. It's I'm a big fan of your show. And it's it's absolute honor to, to be on and, and chat about this great book with you.
0: You can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com support.